As doctors of what I call proper healthcare, and certainly as chiropractors, our mission is big and bold. Our nation and the world requires leadership when confronting the pandemic of metabolic derangement, which leads to degenerative disease and poor health. Masses of people around the globe will never know what it feels like to have boundless energy, unlimited potential, and true health independence into their senior years. Join me in my quest to bring together the best practices to make you a leader in your community. My question to the entire profession is, if not now, when? If not us, who? Welcome and, and thank you for um, joining us for this uh, presentation on metabolic subluxation. I want you all, first of all, we're going to be drinking water out of a fire hose here today. I got two hours to, to get through this presentation and I have a feeling I'm going to need the entire two hours and I need you at the edge of your seat. Make sure you got your coffee. Make sure you got no, no dogs barking, no one to bother you. I want you to really focus on what we're going to be talking about here. I think this is the material that's going to be pivotal for our entire profession. By pivotal, I mean there are a few moments in chiropractic history that we can say are pivotal. And those pivotal moments are things that are just going to directionally change things, right? We know that in 1974, there was a Supreme Court case that directionally changed things for the better and in many cases for the worse. It got us involved in the insurance industry. It kind of distracted us a little bit. The insurance model through the 1980s and 90s kind of directed the chiropractor's attention in a different way. And I believe the year 2020 for all of its uh, faults and, and shortcomings uh, is going to be a pivotal year for the chiropractic profession. And I just want to be a part of that. So hopefully I can communicate that to you. That's why on all of our slides, you'll see the word revolution because that's where I think we're going. And there was a great chiropractor mentor of mine over the years who said, imagine the world domination of healthcare in a chiropractic model. And when I heard that for the first time, I thought it was just, Hey, this is kind of, kind of cute, you know, kind of rah, rah. No, th th this is for real. This is for real. Uh, world domination of healthcare and a chiropractic model is exactly what I'm going to outline for you today. So let's get started. Um, so, you know, now is the time, right? The year 2020 it basically has been a gift. It's been a perfect gift for us. Never before has the chiropractic model been so perfectly positioned um, to to really get involved in the metabolic health of our community and our patients. Um, if we think about COVID-19 and we think about uh, all of the things that are going on and how we're focusing so much, so much on the strength of the virus and no one's really talking about the strength of, of, of the host uh, and it's the health of the host that certainly matters most. And that's something that we try to get out there in the community. So uh, we could also say that the uh, medical community has has pretty much de denied uh, or not denied, but basically chosen to not really get involved in anything related to the health of the host. Right. We can see that all the, all of our professionals are not speaking about making the host healthier. We make the host healthier, according to them, by wearing masks and social distancing. And there's good reason to do all that. And that's why we're doing this here today. Uh, we, we all understand that. But from a healthcare standpoint, there's no leadership going on uh, from the top in policy or in actual healthcare. 
So as a matter of fact, there was a, uh, a post from the Canadian uh, Dietitians Association where they basically said their official policy is there is no lifestyle or dietary change that you can make that would improve your immune system. That's their official policy. That's the Canadian Dietitian Association. They put this out on their social media, on their Instagram. And that's the policy basically of almost any uh, media outlet, uh, any uh, policy making organization. And of course, uh, th those who are communicating with, with us the most uh, when it comes to uh, protecting ourselves. We don't accept that. Uh, the chiropractic profession knows that it's the health of the host. And that's where we come from. That's our history. That's where we have to go. So I, I will say that, um, you know, as far as the medical profession goes, uh, they are uh, certainly looking for uh, treatment and or vaccination. All of their attention is is placed there. Uh, they're, they're not, they've chosen to completely abdicate their responsibilities when it comes. So this is ours for the taking, but it belongs to us anyway. Let's be responsible and pick up the mantle. There's free money on the table. Grab it and pick it up. Here's what I mean. Um, you know, the, we, we can either ignore, um, the, the, the current, the current events and just keep doing things the way we always did. And, and, and that would be great. Uh, and we would probably get the same effect in our communities, meaning the chiropractic profession at any given time is seeing 2% of the American population. If we want to stay that way, don't do anything different. Um, the chiropractic profession in the 20th century had changed the lives of so many people. We saw so many miracles. The 20th century, from a historical perspective, has been just an incredible, uh, you know, uh, an incredible experience for us as chiropractors. But I believe the 21st century is is clearly very different than the 20th century. So I, I think ignoring the current events and uh, just doing things the way, the way we always did them is probably a mistake. We might even lose ground. People have a greater expectation uh, from their healthcare providers. Just think about something virtual, right? V virtual healthcare was kind of foreign and nobody really knew how to do it and very few services were providing. Now it's expected. Now it's expected from your yoga instructor. It's expected from your physical therapist, your chiropractor, your medical doctor. Everybody expects something virtual and look at you guys. You're sitting there having a virtual experience you never thought you would have had before. So uh, clearly things are changing. So, so not Choosing to not change is probably a mistake, yet we have a profession that is a hands-on profession. How do we go virtual? Uh, our second choice is to make a kind of a, a half-hearted attempt at offering um, our patients a, a natural allopathic remedy uh, for whatever ails them, right? So, you know, something like that would be like functional medicine. Functional medicine is a great, wonderful science that pretty much will uh, allow for, um, well, in functional medicine, people will come in with symptoms and you provide a, uh, a diagnosis that's not too different from an allopathic diagnosis. And then what we do is is provide a solution that is natural and therefore we find ourselves in a pretty conflicted uh, situation because our chiropractic practice on the one hand is uh, above, down, inside and out, right? Above, from above, down, inside out. Uh, health comes from the inside, not from the outside in. Yet we're trying to 
uh, provide people with functional medicine services that uh, is in contradiction with that. So our second choice is of making that kind of half-hearted attempt or that contradictory attempt at getting involved in natural allopathic medicine is probably a bad idea too. The third choice is really to focus on the detection and correction of what I call the triple threat. 21st century triple threat. Now this triple threat always existed, right? But I think now more than ever, all three are are equaling or, or uh, achieving parity with each other. We have a vertebral subluxation. You don't need me to tell you about that. That's what you went to school for. That's what you do for a living, removing, detecting and correcting vertebral subluxations. There's a metabolic subluxation, which we're going to be talking about today. And there's the lifestyle subluxation, which we're going to be talking about today. So I think all three of those together are really going to make a big difference in how we provide care going into the, uh, into the, into the 2020s. So, um, what is a metabolic subluxation? When the metabolic state of our patients is so chronically deranged, that dis-ease rapidly becomes life-threatening disease. So, you know, this is a, a term that I, I believe I coined back in 2013 or 14. I was delivering a, a keynote for the New York Chiropractic Council, and I wrote an article preceding that talk uh, called Metabolic Subluxation. And I was basically going to, I was talking then about what I'm going to talk about now, which is understanding your patient's metabolic health and how it impacts the chiropractic care that they're receiving. Well, we, we can talk about uh, any virus. We can talk about any flu season. We can talk about the 2020 COVID-19 crisis. Whatever you want to talk about when it comes to a, a acute crisis like, like a virus, here's what has always been true, but certainly was true in the year 2020, according to the uh, all of the uh, government-supported uh, data. Uh, there are uh, nine out of 10 deaths from COVID-19 had uh, one or more of the following comorbidities. Um, so those comorbidities are in order of prevalence uh, and, and, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes and prediabetes, high cholesterol and lipid disorders. Those, those are the top three. Okay. Now, mind you, this is a pulmonary um this is a, a pulmonary infection. This is something that attacks the lungs. Yet COPD and lung disease is number seven on the list. Asthma is not even on the list. It was on the list initially, but then they took it off. So we got to ask the question, why? And, you know, again, nine out of 10 deaths have one or more of these comorbidities. Now, do you think that if you had high blood pressure at the time that you presented to the hospital or diabetes or, or cholesterol that you were not being treated for those things? Of course you were. Matter of fact, that's how we know. You would never diagnose somebody with high blood pressure when they walk into an emergency room in acute crisis. You can't know that they have high blood pressure unless it's in their history and they're more than likely being treated for it. One thing we know about the medications that people with those top three comorbidities have is that those medications upregulate the receptor that actually the virus binds to in the lungs. So that is going to, again, make them more susceptible. Is it because they have high blood pressure or is it because they're taking the medication? Now, officially, nobody has come to a conclusion on that, but I think the question is worth asking, and I don't think it's far uh too much of a stretch to assume that the medication itself could be contributing there. Uh, 
be that as it may, it doesn't matter. If you didn't have the uh, comorbidity, if you didn't have the pre-existing condition, well, then maybe you wouldn't be in such dire straits. You know, patients have been coming to, to chiropractors for years, and we've been talking about lifestyle. We've been talking about chronic disease forever. And I know that if a 34, 35-year-old comes into the office with all the signs and symptoms of lifestyle stress and, and, and dysfunction, that they are going to uh, be presented with a choice to make changes that correct their lifestyle and their and their health and of course their spine um, so they can you know in their mind all right so i'll live to 90 instead of 80 or i'll live to 85 instead of 75 and that's a good calculation no, nobody wants to die young but and certainly if you're 75, right, and you're really close, you know, you'd like to do things to, to increase your longevity. But when a 34, 35 year old is presented with making a financial and, uh, um, uh, a financial obligation and a time sensitive ob obligation, like getting corrective chiropractic care for anywhere from six to 12 months, well, they're going to say, all right, that there's an expense of time and money. Uh, what? So I can, you know, live to 90 instead of 80. Well, that's a hard calculation for people to make. We don't really see that far into the future. So, so what we find is that our patients get out of the symptom that brought them into the office and they might make a different decision and decide, all right, I'm going to, I'll be back when I need you again. However, if you had one of those three comorbidities and you're 34 years old, or if you had any of the top 10 comorbidities and you're 30 some odd years old, your life is in danger right now. You could die next week. And, and that's amazing. And people should be made aware of that. And, and the fact is there is nothing about taking blood pressure medication, diabetes medication, or cholesterol lowering medication that's going to make those, uh, make you safer from, from from an infection in particular from covid because well the year 2020 has proven that to be the case you're you're not protected by the medication that you're taking if a doctor says to you oh my god you have high blood pressure take this medication because you're at risk for covid well really uh, where's the evidence to say that if i take the, the medication that i'm going to uh, have, have a better chance there is none Okay, so so that's something for our patients and for us as doctors to think about. So I want to kind of walk you through uh, a very common scenario. I look, I, I've been practicing chiropractic. Um, I've been a uh, board certified chiropractic neurologist for almost 25 years. Uh, I've been, you know, well educated in the field over many years of functional medicine. I kind of have this specialty of understanding chiropractic, neurology, and blood chemistry. It's kind of like my trifecta. And this is a very common scenario. So a patient calls to make an appointment. She's a, uh, you know, a, a mother of two. Uh, she has a history of chronic back pain with sciatica over uh, uh, in the previous two, two years. She began chiropractic care in another state with a chiropractor. And at that time, she was nine out of 10 on a pain scale. She completed her corrective care and was on uh, lifestyle-based wellness care with her chiropractor at the time that she was referred to me. And she just wanted to continue with her lifestyle-based wellness. At the time she presented to my office, she's 
barely has any back pain. If any, it's going to be a, a one out of 10. The sciatica is completely resolved. You can see the x-rays here before and after, and it's remarkable. The chiropractor that referred her to me does incredible, incredible work from Southwest Virginia, where, where he just has a, an incredible ability to, uh, provide these corrective changes in a, in a low force type, type of an environment. So you can see the corrections achieved here and her health clearly is far better on the from the day she started chiropractic care to the day that she presented to my office. So in my day one, I do my intake and she shares that she gained 15 pounds in the last 12 months. Uh, she's probably about 30 pounds overweight. She takes a statin drug for cholesterol. Uh, she takes metformin for 10 years for her prediabetes. Um, and she was given a recommendation to start taking Ozempic. Ozempic is a, a, medic, a diabetes medication that's often prescribed a little too quickly because people also want to lose weight. And she developed uh, more frequent headaches over the last 12 months, and she's starting to feel fatigue. Uh, and she also has been told by her doctor she's got blood pressure she shouldn't ignore. Uh, it's borderline, but it's pretty consistent. All right. So now day two, she comes in, she agrees to ongoing care. She's scheduled for, for two uh, chiropractic checks per month. She prepays for the year. I mean, nothing's going to stop this woman from getting chiropractic care. There was nothing to sell. She was just wanted to continue what she already was planning to do for the rest of her life. She takes omega-3, she takes probiotics, she takes vitamin D, and uh, she's glad that, you know, we carry the same products as the doctor from Virginia, and everything is just great. She's the ideal client. She's the ideal patient. She gets it. This is the, the dream patient. Now, there's something wrong, though. And just remember that quote uh, that I have here on the slide from Ayn Rand. Contradictions lead to destruction. Whenever you think you're facing a contradiction, check your premises. You'll find that one of them is wrong. Now, we, 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 all, we all, you know, tell our patients that, you know, headaches are not caused by, by a lack of Tylenol. Um, and, you know, in this case, uh, high blood pressure is not caused by a lack of, you know, uh, blood pressure medication or diabetes is not caused by a lack of metformin. But if this person has been under chiropractic care for two years and had that kind of spinal correction on, that are evident in her x-rays, yet lifestyle was not changed at all, well then, what do you think is going on here? Is there a contradiction in, in her care? Her health is declining. Um, you know, after, you know, years of chiropractic care, is it possible to have your health decline? Ask yourself that question. I know there's a lot of straight-minded chiropractors in this room. I like to believe I'm one of you. Okay. Yeah. My definition of straight chiropractic might be a little bit different, but after five years of corrective chiropractic care, is it possible to have your health decline? And the answer, of course, it's yes. And we see it every day. How many of you have patients who are increasing their lifestyle-based chronic disease medication for diabetes, for blood pressure, for cholesterol, for thyroid? How many of them are increasing? A lot of them are. What are we saying about that? You, you need more chiropractic care? That we didn't get the right subluxation? That the subluxations keep returning? 
or is it something else? So my question to you is, uh, do you believe that your patients are A or one taking more medications than in previous decades or B, number two, taking less medication than in previous decades? Now, I've asked this question before live and the answer was 100% more medications and 0% less medications. No matter what room I'm in, if, if they're chiropractors, they're all saying that their patients and their communities are taking more medications. So with that being said, what is our responsibility there? It's a serious question. We're talking about life and death here. It's life and death. It's acute life and death. How many of your patients were at acute risk of being dead in a week from COVID-19? A lot of them. How many of them have been under your care for many years? A lot of them. I have family members who are under care for many years who are at risk. So this is not something to make you think that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But what do we need to do move, moving forward? So what's changed? What's so different about our profession that was not the case, uh, you know, in the last century, right? We, we want to make it, we want to delineate what was different about the, look, I graduated in 1996. Uh, I, you know, I graduated at a time when chiropractic had experienced their, their 100 year anniversary, uh, in 1995. And I was fortunate enough to, to listen firsthand to people like Jim Parker and, and people who were kind of part of that, that elite group that were trained by the, the, the profession's forefathers. And you can't hear the same story over and over from so many people and deny the miracles that were experienced by these wonderful chiropractors in the 20th century. But you talk to my colleagues who graduated in the late 90s, you talk to anybody who came after that, we're seeing less and less of those miracles. We're seeing more and more of chronic disease, more and more of increased medication. So here's some statistics on why that might be the case. So in the year 2000, so that's, you know, that's the end of the 20th century. 45% of the American population had a one chronic condition and 21%, one out of five people had multiple chronic conditions. That, those are horrible statistics. Okay. Chiropractic has been around for 105 years at that point, And those were the statistics for American health. Just 14 years later, 2014, 200 million have one chronic condition. That's one in three people, 60% of the American population. And 42% had multiple chronic conditions, 135 million people. And guess what? Every one of them walks into your office. They all walk into your office. Whether you acknowledge it or not, they're walking into your office. Maybe it's not 20, maybe it's not 42% of your patient population, but it's a more than acceptable uh, percent. It's too much. That's just 14 years later. Look at this chart. Prevalence of chronic disease in the United States. It projects out to just 10 years from now. I mean, it's pretty, 
You can see from 1995, from, you know, at the time that I graduated, you can see millions of Americans having chronic disease in the United States. Just keeps going up. In a paper in 2010, uh, it was predicted that one third of the U.S. population will have diabetes by 2050. Now, in another paper uh, in 2009, they said the number of people with diabetes is expected to double over the next 25 years. That would bring the total by 2034, just 14 years from now, to 44 million people, up from 23 million today. So. 23 million people have diabetes today, and that was 10 years ago. That is going to double, basically, by the year 2034, uh, in, in, in just 20 years. So, by the way, uh, what you'll see, I think I have a slide here that um, that's coming up, that most people with, di uh, with diabetes or prediabetes have no idea. They haven't even been diagnosed yet. Here's a wonderful animation of, and just look, look at the years going by. This is four years and you're seeing the incidence of diabetes skyrocketing in just four years. This is how quickly this is happening. Yeah. We can sit back and get on our soapbox and say it's Monsanto, it's glyphosate, and we can blame big pharma and we can blame all the people we want to blame. But, and, and, and it's, it's good energy. It's, it's good to put blame where blame is due. But what are we doing about it? We have to do something about it. We can't just complain about it. And this is just four years. You're seeing dramatic, dramatic changes. Okay. And then again, more about what's changed. You can see uh, research and development and the number of new drugs that have just skyrocketed in the 21st century. So the chiropractic profession, the BJ Palmer days of the first half of the 20th century and the Jim Parker days in the second half of the 20th century, they, they didn't deal with what we're dealing with. Okay. And it's, it's something that can't be ignored because it's a limitation of matter that is destroying our patients and our communities. And we all have seen this one. I, I, I was first introduced to this by James Chestnut years and years ago on, on diabetes. I'm sorry, on uh, obesity. And it just keeps on going. You might say that I forgot about obesity in my chart on, uh, on COVID, but no, those first three, they all include obesity. Uh, so it's, uh, again, further illustration of what has changed. Here again, 1990, 2002, 2020, and you can see just the increases in every major chronic disease. Those increases are, are unacceptable um, and, and, you know, needs to uh, be something that we as chiropractors get involved with and focus on. So who walks into a, a chiropractic office? Well, people with spinal problems, right? We're all familiar with DISH, diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis. And it's funny because my, uh, one of my colleagues in, um, in, in Southwest Virginia, very busy, high volume subluxation based practice, actually three practices. And he's like, man, everybody's got dish. He goes, and he's been practicing as long as I have. Everybody's got dish. It's coming in all the time, more and more. So he, he does a lot more volume than I do. So I take his word for it. I mean, he's incredible. He's very clinically astute. So dish, the association of dish, according to this paper, 
with type 2 diabetes and other metabolic alterations, for example, impaired lipid metabolism, has been known for many years. It seems that this pathological process is significantly influenced by hyperglycemia, insulin resistance. Also, it's affected by growth hormone and the effect of insulin on growth hormone uh, through uh, hormones like uh, insulin-like growth factor. So this, you know, ask yourself, are you seeing more and more of this? Are you seeing any of this? Of course you have. Of course you are. It's increasing greatly. What else walks into the chiropractic office? Well, I can tell you now, every chiropractic patient that I deal with, and that's my entire practice, gets blood work. And when I graduated from uh, school in 1996, the upper end of the reference range for LFTs or liver function tests, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the ALT and AST are what are called liver enzymes, um, probably misnamed. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That's how we look at uh, stress being placed on the liver. I always say the liver is like a one-way bridge going from the inside of the body to the outside of the body. We traffic toxins from inside to out. Those toxins, you know, we developed the liver before the world was not or fully organic, right? So our hunter-gatherer ancestors who lived in a perfectly clean environment needed a liver to detoxify them from their own metabolism. Plus, we now use our liver to detoxify us from medications and alcohol and food uh, additives and, and pesticides and all of that stuff. Well, um, the upper end of the reference range in 1995 was... 25 for each of them. We like to see them around 20, maybe in the high teens for AST and ALT. Uh, but what we're finding is that it just keeps going up. So the, uh, this is uh, prevalence trends in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which means fatty liver disease without being an alcoholic. We used to see it only with alcoholics. Uh, this is from uh, 1990 to 2017. Again, what's changed? So the worldwide cases have increased from 391 million to 882 million. Okay, so it's basically way more than doubled. Almost all countries showed a significant increased trend in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease over the past three decades. This increase is alarming and suggests that NAFLD has emerged as a new public health concern worldwide. As such, more efficient prevention strategies are urgently needed. Do you see any commercials for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? No, but you do see people who are on waiting lists for liver transplants. Now, hepatitis C is now about to be surpassed by non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as being the number one cause for a liver transplant. Here we have, uh, again, secondary causes of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, it's becoming the most common cause of chronic liver disease in the developing world, found in 17 to 30% of the population in Western countries. You bet your ass it's closer to 30% than it is to 17%. And it's probably, according to our definitions, happening at a higher rate than that, one in three just like diabetes is probably the appropriate number. One of three people walking into your office. Uh, the well-known primary causes are obesity, type two diabetes, dyslipidemia, and insulin resistance.
All right. So usually at this point in the presentation, I'd look out into the crowd and say, how's everybody doing? Are you following me? And I would look at your heads nod and I would get an idea of what if my cadence is too fast or the good news is we have access to this, vi this video and you can watch it maybe more than once. I think it would be a good idea, but I definitely want to be able to get through all of this material. Um, okay. So, uh, th this is interesting too, because when we think about why do patients present to a chiropractor's office? And it's usually because they have a symptom and that symptom is usually related to the spine. It's usually related to some kind of a pain syndrome. Uh, and then if we educate them on the benefits of chiropractic care that are not surrounded by pain, wonderful, but they have to get into our office. Well, I can tell you right now, these chronic issues need to be addressed in the chiropractic office because there is an effect on muscle function, skeletal muscle function, as well as joint function. So muscle homeostasis depends on the balance between anabolic growth and catabolic breakdown signals. Moreover, insulin resistance of protein metabolism only partially explains muscle loss during non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Interestingly, specific alterations in the liver, muscle axis, have you ever heard that term, liver muscle axis? Well, I think it's worth learning it, liver muscle axis, um, particularly in situations such as excess fructose and sucrose sugar uh, consumption. So again, if if... I have paraspinal muscle activity loss. Will I be more or less likely to be subluxated? Will I be more or less likely to be able to hold my adjustment? I think you know the answer to those questions. Again, if we were live, it would be great to get your feedback, to see your faces, to see, you know, kind of the interactions, see where there's confusion. I can't do that right now, but um, I'm, I'm going to give you a resource at the end of this that's going to keep you in connection with this conversation. So um, stay tuned for that. Make sure you make it to the end of this video. Okay, so chiropractic has not changed. We just talked about a lot of things that have changed. Our profession hasn't changed. Our principles haven't changed. As a matter of fact, 2020 is proving that our model is the only model. It is not alternative health care. It's real health care. We make real changes in people's lives. Uh, it's time to take a leadership role. So let's get back to the basics. Chiropractic is the detection and correction of interference with nervous system function. That is what a subluxation is to me. The detection and correction of interference with nervous system function. That's the chiropractic definition for me. Uh, the interference with the nervous system is the subluxation. And there are now more than just one form of that interference. It's not just vertebral, it's in, there's other things going on. So vertebral subluxation, interference with the nervous system at the spinal level. The causes of vertebral subluxation have always been the three T's, right? Traumas, toxins, and thoughts. It's just one cause and nothing has changed about that. What has changed is the 20th century, as we said, physical, chemical, and mental stressors resulted in vertebral subluxations, which when corrected, created the miracle of chiropractic care in the 20th century. In the 21st century, we're seeing new limitations of matter. They're revealed uh, when the vertebral adjustment does not alter metabolic physiology. It's as simple as that. Uh, these limitations are driving the pandemic 
of metabolic disease never before seen. So what are some of these 21st century limitations of matter? Well, I can tell you now there's been almost a 400% increase in autoimmune disease in just the last 15 years. Neurodegeneration will take over. That's basically Alzheimer's will take over uh, heart disease as the number one cause of death in our lifetime. And as I said before, one third of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic right now. 75% have no idea. And two thirds of Americans are overweight and more than half of those are obese. Okay. So those are the limitations of matter that we are seeing. And it is uh, gotten to a critical point made much more evident by current events in the year 2020. Okay, so here's an axiom. An axiom is an irreducible foundational truth. Vertebral subluxations lead to dis-ease, which if left uncorrected or not adjusted, results in disease. If you accept that, welcome to the club. Metabolic subluxations lead to dis-ease, which if left uncorrected or adjusted, leads to disease as well. How do we detect and correct vertebral subluxations? We do a chiropractic exam. We may take x-rays. We may do some type of muscle physiology testing. We may do thermography or autonomic testing. There's different exams that we do to detect and correct the subluxation. We all have been taught to take x-rays. Uh, we've all been taught to take x-rays and we took three years of radiology in chiropractic college so we can be competent enough to look at an x-ray and identify if there's something that is a limitation of matter or outside of the chiropractic scope. We are trained to identify a tumor, a fracture, a dislocation, something that does require medical referral or medical attention. We are responsible for that. Our, um, our malpractice insurance reflects that. And we even have services out there where we can say, you know what, I'm not too sure let me send this to a radiologist, uh, and, and we have wonderful chiropractic radiologists who can read uh, an x-ray report for you for, I think, like 35 bucks. Uh, and to have that kind of peace of mind is a really good idea. Uh, so, so that's something that we have available. So we've gotten the education in radiology. We look at x-rays to detect subluxations. When we see something else, we can identify it and send it out to to identify it specifically. We don't have to know that the soap bubble appearance is a tumor or multiple myeloma or that is, that's academic. We know that if we see something bizarre like that, it goes out. Okay. You see tumors like this, uh, you know, you see that on an x-ray in one, one of your patients, you just say, all right, well, you know, we're going to get you under chiropractic care. We're going to provide you all kinds of uh, health and well-being uh, services here in this office. At the same time, we're going to send this this x-ray out and uh, see what the next step is to follow up and find out exactly what these things are because these are not consistent with subluxation. They might be consistent with some kind of disease process. Great. How do we detect and correct metabolic subluxation? Well, just like you take a patient's history and do an x-ray, you take a patient's history and do a blood test. Simple as that. People respect the time-tested benefit and uh, credibility of x-ray and radiology. They accept the time-tested credibility of basic blood tests. And we can get a wealth of information, chiropractic information from 
doing these blood tests. So when we look at blood tests, you know, there's what was tested, there's the result the patient got, and then there's the uh, the reference range, right? So people believe that, you know, if they're within the reference range, that it, it, it's normal. They, they call that normal. And they, uh, when they call and they, and they say, yeah, I want to come in and you say, are there any blood tests, uh, that, that you've had done in the last six months that you can bring in? And they say, oh, yeah, everything was fine. Uh, you know, my, my doctor said there's nothing wrong. And most of us would just say, okay, great. Thanks. Now, what if they said that about x-ray? What if they said, yeah, yeah, I had a little back pain. I went to my orthopedist. They took an x-ray. They said everything was fine. What is your response to that as a chiropractor? Well, your response is probably, well, they don't look at, uh, blood, they don't look at x-rays the way that we as, we chiropractors do. They're looking for a fracture, pathology, tumor, uh, something, uh, you know, uh, some kind of frank pathology, but they're not looking for subluxations. Well, the same thing holds true for blood work. They're not looking for subluxations. So I'm going to define what a metabolic subluxation is on paper so you can identify it if you want to. Um, now, mind you, I'm not here. I want busy subluxation-based chiropractors to stay busy subluxation-based chiropractors. Matter of fact, I want them busier. So the chiropractors out there who are fascinated by blood work and functional medicine, they're trying hard to, to not provide chiropractic care and to provide functional medicine services. I, I think that's a big mistake. I, I, I think that's a big mistake. I think if you're, if what's truly in your mind and having the end in mind is just what is your contribution going to be to the health and well-being of your community, then do what you do best. If what you do best is providing good, great, hands-on chiropractic care, do not stop doing that. But that doesn't mean your patients do not need their metabolic subluxations adjusted. Okay? So, in most cases, normal lab values are a range of values that 95% of the healthy population falls into. Now, what does that mean, 95% of the population being healthy? There's no such thing. I just told you the statistics. So, so the really what that reference range is saying is this medically actionable or not, right? It's a complete, it's like taking an x-ray. There could be curves and subluxations and bone spurs and every, everywhere up and riddled up and down the spine. But the orthopedist says, there's nothing wrong. Medically, there's nothing wrong. Orthopedist is not wrong. But chiropractically, there's a whole bunch going on there. Well, this holds true for their blood chemistry as well. So this is kind of the way it works. Let's talk about MCV. It's just one of the, a CBC is a, a complete blood count, white blood cell, red blood cell. I, I, it costs between three and five dollars if, if you wanted to get a, a CBC done. Let's look at some of the benefits of a CBC, of a three to five dollar test, chiropractic benefits. So MCV stands for mean corpuscular volume. That the, you know what it means? It means the size of the red blood cell. Okay, good. The size of the red blood cell. What does a red blood cell do? The job of a red blood cell is to deliver oxygen. That's its only function, deliver oxygen. Now, a red blood cell has certain characteristics and its ability to deliver oxygen will be determined by those characteristics. 
And those characteristics are all in order on a CBC. There's the number of red blood cells. There's the protein in the red blood cell called hemoglobin. There's the percentage of cells uh, that are red blood cells uh, called hematocrit. And there's the size of the red blood cell called MCV or mean corpuscular volume. So in this here, we can see that there's a range, 79 to 97 in some laboratories and other laboratories are 80 to 100 and other laboratories are 78 to 96. It depends on the laboratory that you went to. We call that community rating. Laboratories are supposed to adjust their numbers almost on a monthly basis. And there's good reason to do that, but there's also unintended consequences. The unintended consequences are, if I were to ask you, who's more likely to get their blood drawn? Sick people or healthy people, you would all say sick people. And if that's the community we're comparing ourselves to, then that reference range of 79 to 97 is a uh, sick range because those are the people getting their blood tests, but they're not medically actionable if they're inside the range, okay? So we like to say the subluxation range is in the yellow, pathology range is in the red, the optimal range is in the blue in the middle. So we say 85 to 92. If it's below 85, the red blood cell is too tiny. If it's above 92, the red blood cell is getting too fat and it inefficiently delivers oxygen. Now, why is oxygen so important? Are there any cells in your, uh, in, in your body that don't use oxygen? No, they all do. They all use oxygen. But there are some organs that are a whole lot more oxygen sensitive than, uh, than others. So, for example, your heart is going to use a whole lot more oxygen than your uh, fat cells, right? Um, it's much more active. Uh, your immune system will use a whole lot more oxygen when it's fighting the flu than when it's just healthy and surveilling the area. Um, but the most oxygen sensitive system or organ in your body is your central nervous system. Your brain is 2% of your body weight, but it uses up to 30% of your oxygen. That's pretty tremendous. So if anything interferes with oxygen delivery, well, then that's a problem. That's a chiropractic problem, right? The brain is the central processing unit. That's principle number 33. And the central nervous system controls all other systems in the body. If I deliver an adjustment that's going to remove a subluxation and allow for somebody's nervous system to function more optimally, or it, there's a chance that it's going to demand more fuel. And that fuel, one of the, the components of that fuel is oxygen. Another one is ketone or, or, or glucose. Let's focus on the oxygen right now. So if there's a problem delivering oxygen and you deliver an adjustment, will that patient be able to hold their adjustment? And of course, you know, the answer is no. Now, the optimal range is what's desired. And if they're outside the range into the yellow area, we want to ask the question why, and we have to dig a little deeper. And this is just one marker. This is not a class on functional blood chemistry, but it certainly is uh, something worth learning. I don't think it's worth learning in the context of what they call functional medicine. I think it's worth learning in the context of chiropractic. You know, when, when we 
see something like this, if I see that somebody's, um, you know, MCV is 96 or 97, I don't write on a piece of paper that they have megaloblastic anemia, which is what that is. I say they have a metabolic subluxation that needs to be adjusted and that we have to bring certain nutritional markers into alignment uh, in order for that to happen. And in particular, the size of the red blood cell is determined by a balance of iron and vitamin B12. So we would look a little further to see where, where the challenge is. So this is a, an incredibly important conversation to have because again, listen to the language I'm using. We need to adjust the values in order to bring certain nutritional markers back into alignment. That is not the talk of functional medicine. That is the talk of chiropractic. We need to learn this language. It's not that difficult and it's not expensive for a patient to get a routine set of blood work or what we call a wellness panel. So let's go through, uh, here's another patient uh, scenario. So where do vertebral uh, and metabolic subluxations meet? So we have a 38-year-old female chiropractic ideal client with headaches and is exhausted. Her hemoglobin is 12.4. Optimal is 13.5 to 15.5. Hemoglobin is that protein in the red blood cell that binds the iron, which carries the oxygen. Hematocrit is the percentage of cells in your blood that are red blood cells. The sweet spot there is 40 to 45. Now, there are some reference ranges that are, uh, you know, 34 to 44. Um, but the sweet spot for optimal health is 40 to 45. MCV, we said 85 to 92, this is 84. So this person does not have medical anemia, but they certainly do have a metabolic subluxation that interferes with optimal delivery of oxygen to their central nervous system. That, that is not in dispute. Do they, this is what you might say is an anemic tendency. The word anemia is the inefficient delivery of oxygen by the, by the red blood cells. So this person has a functional anemia, but really they have a metabolic subluxation. What causes red blood cells to get tiny or small or to lose hemoglobin? There could be an iron deficiency. Okay. Is that common in women? Yes, of course. A heavy cycle. Uh, there could be some GI distress that's causing some bleeding. They might be taking uh, too many uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs for their low back pain and sciatica. That could be causing some GI bleeding, a number of things. But this person is not going to hold their adjustments the way you would want them to if they're not delivering oxygen efficiently. So, you know, I, I talk about the soap bubble appearance and on an x-ray and knowing that uh, you see that you're referring it out. So 18.5 million people have a disease called anemia, and you may not want to diagnose or treat that in your office, and that's fine. You don't have to. But how many do you think have these anemic tendencies? Look, this patient we just went over, she doesn't have anemia, but it's clearly an anemic tendency. Understanding it is important. You refer that person out to a hematologist, they're not going to accept the case. The person's fine. The numbers could be better. They might agree with that. They might not. 
but I can promise you their fatigue and their ability to hold their adjustments and their, their brain fog is going to improve when you get those numbers dialed in, when you get those markers adjusted, when you bring everything back into alignment. So it's estimated that five to 10 times that a number, that number of people who have anemia have a functional type of anemia that we just described. Let's just say it's five times, it's a hundred million people. That's one in, one in three or one in four people in this country. They're walking into your office. You just don't know it. Experts reveal a link between osteoarthritis and anemia. Links between iron deficiency, uh, loss of oxidative capacity, the ability to, to use oxygen as a fuel, and functional capacity in patients with chronic metabolic stress accompanied by skeletal muscle dysfunction. The decline in muscle strength and quality has emerged as a common pathophysiological feature Various metabolic syndromes, significantly aggravating symptoms and outcomes. Skeletal muscle dysfunction that accompanies these diseases has been linked to the loss of skeletal muscle. Oxidative capacity defined by the ability to oxidize nutrients to obtain energy. So when you get adjusted, do you need to be able to produce energy? Do you need muscular support of the skeletal structures that were just adjusted? Yes, of course. Structural changes that decrease functional muscle capacity can be observed as a reduced muscle mass and volume measured in different body regions. Okay, this is chiropractic. This is not medicine. And here's just what, you know, a muscle cell will use uh, if you have sufficient iron stores. Um, you know, you'll have sufficient uh, intramuscular glycogen or, or the other part of the, the fuel equation, uh, glucose. Um, you'll, you'll not overproduce lactate. Uh, you'll have an efficient uh, Krebs cycle and electron transport chain to make ATP and everything works wonderfully. If you're iron deficient, the bottom cell there, you're gonna decrease your glycogen stores. You're gonna always be hungry. You're gonna crave carbohydrates. You're gonna gain weight. You're gonna have more lactate production. You're gonna be in greater pain and stiffness. Uh, your Krebs cycle is going to be less in a, is going to be less efficient. Uh, your beta oxidation of fuel, meaning burning fuel with oxygen is going to decrease. Your, your, uh, glycolysis is going to go up. You're going to produce less ATP and you're going to lose energy. And that's going to be true of the muscular system as well as the central nervous system. You know, it's funny. Uh, <clears throat> do you know what, what makes, uh, dark meat? and white meat different? Uh, why does certain, you know, parts of a chicken have, uh, considered dark meat and the other parts are considered white meat? And the answer to that question is the more uh, active the uh, muscles are for posture, the more likely it is to be dark meat. What makes it dark is the fat stored in the muscle as well as the dense mitochondria to oxidize that fat to make ATP. Whereas the white meat are more of the, the muscles they need for power, right? So uh, the breastbone, the breast muscle is not something needed for posture, but it's needed for flying. Uh, how, you know, when, when a, I guess when a chicken flies, it's gonna use that muscle uh, as much as it can, but it's not gonna do it all day the way it needs to have posture all day. Well, we have white meat and dark meat. Your pecs or your breast or your biceps, that's white meat. You don't use it for posture, you use it for power. Uh, 
but your postural muscles are your dark meat. Mitochondria dependent, lots of ATP. Takes a lot of energy, not strength, to sit up in a chair and work at a computer or be on a Zoom meet meeting all day. It, it takes a lot of energy, but not strength, to be a truck driver. Takes a lot of energy, not strength, to maintain good postural integrity and hold those spinal joints together after you've been adjusted. So patients who have this iron deficiency, whether they be vegetarians or they have these bleeding issues or whatever the cause is, if you're not checking it, you don't know. All right. Again, here's another graphic on iron deficiency and how it uh, decreases um, the density and surface of the mitochondria. Uh, you know, again, it's looking at skeletal muscle here, but just put brain cells there and you're going to see pretty much the same thing. Decreased mitochondria in the brain gives you neurodegeneration or Alzheimer's. And we can go on and on and on, but this is an excellent slide to kind of look at how important iron is to your chiropractic uh, health. Okay, so here we have a situation where you may have pathology, right? So the number of red blood cells, the sweet spot is four to five or 4.5 to 5.0. Here you can see it's laboratory low at 3.5. Hemoglobin, we said 13.5 to 15.5 is the sweet spot. You can see this is laboratory low at nine. Same thing with the hematocrit. And of course, the MCV is right there at the border at 80. So here you have a situation of pathology. And maybe this is not something that you want to address. Now, a lot of the same principles apply. A lot of the recommendations you would give apply here. But the truth is, uh, yeah, you could send this out to uh, their primary care physician to make sure they're not bleeding or having some kind of a uh, an, an acute medical issue. I think the primary care physician would be like, wow, that this chiropractor picked this up. I'm, I'm not only impressed, but I'm grateful. Um, I, I think I might have to refer some more patients to him or her. Uh, so, you know, it's important to know that, yeah, the medical profession is necessary. It's not going anywhere and they're always going to be very powerful and having a good relationship is, is always a good idea. Okay, so here you have a situation of, again, anemia. This is a medical condition, okay? Now here, let's just go into liver disease. This person may not have liver disease, even though they're outside of the reference range. Remember I said AST and ALT when I graduated in the mid-90s was the upper range was typically around 25 and that I like it in the high teens or around 20. Well, this laboratory reference range says 40 and 41. Now, a laboratory down the street could say 32 and 31. Okay, so these ranges are kind of all over the place, depending on the health of the, um, of the community that that laboratory is in. But one thing we can't deny is that in the modern industrialized world, particularly the U.S., those numbers are just going up. So here... Uh, there's a strong relationship between, again, of course, alcohol medications. If you rule those out, carbohydrate, fructose, uh, even somebody drinking a lot of orange juice could, could cause this, uh, these numbers to go up, to cause that traffic on that bridge. That liver, remember we said the liver is like a, a, a bridge going from the inside of the body to the outside of the body. So, so 
as these numbers go up, just imagine the traffic on that bridge just getting denser and denser. The liver still works. It can detoxify. It can move those toxins across, but there's a lot of buildup inside the body. What does that look like? Well, it's basically an inflammatory process. You can see even on this lab here, this person's uric acid is elevated, also very powerfully related to fructose consumption. Fructose or high fructose corn syrup is found in a lot of different processed foods. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of chiropractic, medicine, nursing, or any other professional healthcare service including the giving of chiropractic or medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional chiropractic or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not regard or delay in obtaining chiropractic or medical advice from any chiropractic or medical condition they may have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.